all to do something uh, with me for a moment. I want you to try to imagine a world without music, a world where you get in your car and there's no radio to turn on, you can't play music from your phone uh, because there are no songs. There are no songs being sung. There's no music being played. There are no instruments. There are no events for music. There are no concerts, no musicals, no operas. There's no music. Uh, I want you to imagine that world where there are no songs sung at weddings, no dirges at funerals. Uh, there's no music to celebrate with dancing. And, and, and I think the second we stop and do that, we try to consider a world without music, I think it becomes really clear that music is a wonderful gift. Amen? It is a wonderful, special gift of God's grace. And so no wonder our enemy works so hard to pervert it and, and to distort it. The weeping prophet reveals in the book of Jeremiah, Lamentations, how central music is, even in our hardest times. It says the elders, the elders are gone from the city gate. The young men have stopped playing their music. It's seemingly, music is the soundtrack of our life and creation itself. At the beginning of God's creative act, it says in the book of Job 38, verse 7, that the angels were singing. Can you imagine that? Watching God create galaxies and universes and angels and marvel begin singing a song. The Bible begins and ends with music. It opens up in Genesis 4 with a man named Jubal, who is a maker of instruments, lyres, and, and pipes. The Bible tells us of Saul, King Saul. He recruited a young musical prodigy named David to soothe his troubled soul. During Israel's national events like the Exodus in Exodus 15, they had music. They sang. The wisest man that ever lived, Solomon, he writes all of these songs, and he, he calls the song of songs about the bliss of marital intimacy. And Isaiah tells us in chapter 6 that not only do we sing music, and, but in heaven there's music in God's presence. This antiphonal song back and forth, the angels are singing Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And then the Bible ends in Revelation 15, and it says, They sang the song of Moses, the bondservant of God, the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, O Lord God. The Almighty, righteous and true, are your ways, king of the nations. The Bible opens and it ends with music. Before there is time and there's God and there's angels singing. And it tells us that even our Lord sang a song. Did you know that? Did you ever see that pop off the pages for you as you read through the Gospels? It tells us in his passion, as he was making his way to the garden before his arrest, and to be crucified, I'll read you the text. It says in Matthew 26, 30, that after singing a hymn, they went up to the Mount of Olives. That, that Jesus said, let's sing a song. <laughs> let, let, let's sing one of, one of the psalms, perhaps. I just wonder what song he sang. I wonder what Jesus' playlist would have sounded like. 
And I want you to turn to this passage in 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 25. The Bible tells us why it is that we sing when we gather together in worship. In 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 25, it says, And he, King Hezekiah, stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals and harps and lyres according to the commandment of David and of Gad, the king's seer, and Nathan the prophet. And so King Hezekiah gathers together musicians and the Levites to sing. And so you could ask the question, did they gather together in corporate worship and sing because King Hezekiah commanded them to do so? Well, you might look at the text more carefully and closely. It wasn't because of King Hezekiah's command. It was because the prophets, the prophet David or the prophet Gad or or Nathan the prophet, perhaps they sang for that reason. The text doesn't say that, though. The text at the end of verse 25 says, For the commandment was from the Lord through his prophets. That music is incorporated into our gathered worship because God wants us to sing. He wants us to sing. He wants us to lift up our voices in worship and in praise to him. This is not only true of the Old Testament saints. The New Testament says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18 and 19, that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, the evidence of that, being filled with the Holy Spirit, is that we will, what, saints? We will sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord. And when it says psalms, it literally means that. The book of Psalms, all 150 of them, is an inspired songbook by God for his people to sing. That they laid these psalms to music. And of all the psalms that we could talk about this morning, I want to talk about the psalm that we all love, we all know, I want us to sing, I want us to sing in our hearts today, Psalm chapter 23. It's in everybody's playlist. It's one of our favorite songs. And what makes something your favorite song? Did you ever think about that? What makes a song popular? What makes it a hit? Well, what makes songs popular, what makes them classics, is when everybody can own it. <laughs> when, when, forget the writer, whoever's performing it, what makes a song a classic song is that that becomes your song and you sing it. You're singing it to your wife. You're singing about your life. It, it reflects the love that's in your heart for your wife, for your spouse. I, I sing all kinds of songs for my wife. I, not that I'm a singer, but I just love to, to bless my wife. She, she, is the, she is the sunshine in my morning. She's the sugar in my coffee. She fills my heart with joy, and it makes me want to sing to her. God wants to so delight our hearts. They're simply saying, I love you, Lord. Not enough for us. But we want to sing. We want to sing to our God. And Psalm 23 is that special classic song, song that we all own. It's a classic because it speaks of our relationship to our holy God. And that's what I want, how I want to look at Psalm 23 today. And I invite you to turn there. I'm going to read it. In Psalm chapter 23, I want to 
I want to point out four ways, if you're a note taker, I want to point out four ways that Psalm 23 is our song. This is our song. It is our song because of what Christ, the great, the good shepherd, has done. We read that in John chapter 10. Let me read it in your hearing. It says, a psalm of David, and the superscript is a part of the inspired text. This is a psalm, a, which means a song, that David wrote. And it says, and we all know it, the Lord is my shepherd. And I'm re reading out of the ESV. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in, lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, the first way the Lord is, Jesus has made this our song is, is in verse 1 when it says, The Lord is my shepherd. And let me, let me present it to you this way, that, that Jesus has made it so that the Lord personally relates to you. The Lord personally relates to us that we have a personal relationship with God because of what Jesus Christ, the Good Shepherd, has done. And when you read the psalm, you hear that. David isn't speaking in, in corporate language here. He's not using plural pronouns. As you read through the psalm, and I'll read it again, David says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for your rod is with me, or, or for you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. David is describing a relationship with the creator of the universe. The one who made everything that is, is. And David is saying that I have a personal relationship with God. It is simply amazing, staggering truth that every day that you wake up, you never wake up alone. Single, married, widowed, divorced, you never ever have spent one day of your Christian life alone because God is has made himself your shepherd. God loves you. It's simply an amazing truth. And you have to cultivate that relationship. I have six kids, and I, I try. I try to, to make our home centered around our relationships. It's hard, and it's a challenge. And I could ask you all why is it hard and challenging to build a home around the relationships, and you all would know in an instant it's because of what happened about 12, 13 years ago when they invented these smartphones. That I, I'm like telling my kids, you can't live in this 
digital space, get out of your room, get off your phone. It's dinner time. We're going to sit around the table. We're going to look at each other in the eyes. We're going to have a relationship. <laughs> and I got to fight whatever's on that phone, whatever's flipping through and flipping through here. Like, we need to spend time with each other. God made us community. We're a family, and we have to relate to one another. God made you in his image and likeness, which means God made you relational beings, communicative beings, emotional beings. He made you like he is so that you could have a relationship with him. And Jesus died to give you life. Jesus died to take you out of the kingdom of darkness. Jesus died and rose to reconcile you to God so that you could infinitely, so that you can enjoy this relationship with God forever. But starting now, you've got to pursue that. I remember pursuing my wife. Uh, uh, I, you could call it stalking, but I, I wouldn't call it stalking. I would just call it love. She actually had another boyfriend. I'm like, well, all is fair in love and war, right? Let the best man win. And I'm just pursuing this girl. I'm like, no, I got to get this girl. I got to get this girl. And I, I can just think about that girl because I loved her. Time equals intimacy. You have a relationship with God that Jesus has brought about. And now we have the privilege of enjoying that intimate relationship by pursuing him. David, I can only imagine as he's out with the sheep and the flock in the night, he is not bored. He's not looking for an iPhone to entertain himself. He is doing what, saints? He's meditating on God. He's thinking about God. He's singing songs to God. He's writing new songs to God. He's enjoying his intimate relationship with God. You can do that every day, every day. And I would encourage you this song in your playlist because the Lord is your shepherd. He is. And then David just keeps exploring that metaphor. The Lord is our shepherd, explaining how it is we relate to God. Not only do we relate to him personally, but also the Lord provides for you. The text says that. The song is saying the one who provides for me is the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. Shepherds take care of the sheep. David is saying, the Lord, Yahweh, the, the loyal, faithful, covenant-keeping God, he is the one who takes care of me. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. This is really emphatic. He's saying that I shall not want. Not want in the sense of I have no desires. I want to be clear. I love the beauty of, and majesty of the King James translation but it doesn't capture exactly what David is saying. He's not saying, I, I, I don't have any desires. It's not wrong to desire uh, to serve the Lord as a pastor or to be married or to have kids and on and on and on. We can have all kinds of things that we want that are godly. What the text here is saying that I don't want in the sense that I'm lacking anything that I need because the Lord is my shepherd. That, that, that's what this text is saying. It's pressing into the fact that because God is my shepherd, I never, ever really lack something that God wants me to have. And so here David is pressing into 
the reality of what we need to learn as God is our shepherd, that we can enjoy contentment, that we can enjoy the peace of knowing that whatever situation I have, if my cup is full or half full, that I'm in the shepherd's hands and he's my provider, so I have everything that I need. David's not the only one who says this in the Bible. Paul says it in the book of Philippians, does he not? Chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. He says, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And all things I can do is I can be satisfied, content in every circumstance I find myself in because the Lord is his shepherd too. But Paul, like us, we have to learn that. Paul says, I, I, for I have learned to be content. And I learned the secret of being content is recognizing what I have comes from the Lord. And that's always enough. That Christ is always enough. What God gives us is always enough because he gives us himself. And these have been hard years, and I don't mean to minimize that. People have lost jobs through COVID. Uh, people have had to move out of state to get jobs. We've had members who've had to move out of state. So, so the, the question is not that every day I wake up and, 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 and there's everything that I want at my doorstep, but I know that everything I need is in the Lord's hands, and we have to learn to trust him in that. Um, faith is something we have to grow in. Amen, saints? And so here the psalmist is telling us this truism that we never lack anything that we, we need. It's true because of who God is. <clears throat> Psalm 84, verse 11 says, No good does the Lord withhold from those who walk uprightly. And so we have to believe that. We have to walk by faith and not by sight. The God that we know and the God that we love, he is real. We just can't see him, but we know him through faith. And we have to keep singing these songs in our heart to keep reminding us of what's true. And because of our relationship with him, it's personal, but also he provides. And the text enumerates all kinds of ways that he provides for us. It says in that he, it says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. So God provides for our physical needs. It, it, the, the text is saying he, he leads us or he, he makes us lie down in these luscious green pastures so that what we need as sheep is abundantly provided for us by the Lord. And then it says he leads me beside these calm, still waters. And this is intensive. Because sheep wouldn't run from cascading rapids or running waters. They would be too afraid. So God knows what we need, and he knows how to provide what we need. He provides for our physical needs, whether it's the grass that's luscious that we need, or it's the still waters that we have to drink. The Lord knows. The Bible says in 1 Timothy 6, 8, if we have food and covering, with these we shall be content. God simply gives us everything that we need, not everything we want, but certainly everything that we need. So the Lord provides for all of our physical needs. And the saints can say amen to that. I'll say amen. Amen, because that's true. 
that the Lord provides for our spiritual needs. It says he revives or he restores my soul. Can I ask a, a question and without giving me a verbal answer or a cliche or the, I know what the right answer is, Pastor Bobby. Why did you come here today? That's what I do, Pastor, Sunday morning. <laughs> my whole adult life, because my mom and dad made me come. Why did you come? Did you come here because there's a thirst that only God can quench? That there is a spiritual hungering that only his word can satisfy. So, 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 so the mark of spiritual barrenness in the church is when people just come to fulfill a duty or keep a habit rather than to come to satisfy deep spiritual hunger and a deep spiritual thirst. Here the psalmist is saying that the Lord restores my soul. Can I ask a simple question? What in the world restores a soul? What can revive your soul? What does that, saints? And the answer is, the Lord does. The shepherd does. He gives us our vitality back. When I'm depressed, when we're broken, um, my sister died in She was diagnosed with a terminal form of cancer on March 10th, and three months later, she was, she was gone. And, uh, you know, big sister's like a, a second mom. And uh, I remember coming home from college, and uh, I would be losing weight because I was a starving student. And she said, boy, you getting skinny. And she'd just go in the kitchen and whip up something and make me some food. And just think of all the ways my sister was such a blessing to me. And, but she's gone now. And, uh, and I know she's with the Lord. She loved the Lord. But there are days when I couldn't get out of felt like I couldn't get out of bed. But I'm a pastor, so <laughs> I've got to meet people. I've got to preach. And I'm doing a conference here, and I'm doing this here. And so the Bible says we have to preach in season and out of season for pastors. And this has certainly been a season that's out of season for me. But the Lord has strengthened me, amen? In, in our weakness, the Lord strengthens. Uh, none of us are supermen. We're, you know, Paul boasts about the fact that I'm going to boast in my weaknesses because in my weakness, if I get it done, is manifesting not my strength, but the strength of the Lord. He says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And the Lord is the one who gives us the spiritual strength we need. He is the one who revives our soul. He really is. In Lamentations, the writer says in 116, my eye, my eye runs down with water because far from me is a comforter, one who restores my soul. Proverbs 18, 14 says, A man's spirit will endure sickness, but a broken spirit who can bear? And then the psalmist tells us in Psalm 19, verse 7, the instruction of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. It's God's word. And when we all struggle, when we're in that place, when we feel empty, we want to fill ourselves up, and you're going to turn to something. When the tragedy happens, a relationship ends, or, or a financial crisis comes, or a sickness overwhelms you, or you, you're working hard at school and you didn't get straight A's, you get, 
got, got the other end of the spectrum, got some Fs in there, and you're just depressed and overwhelmed, we're, we're going to turn somewhere into something to comfort us. And the temptation is always to turn to sin, turn to drugs, turn to pornography, turn to this, turn to that, turn to something. And, and the second we turn to something other than the Lord, we've made that thing an, an idol. Idols are mute, dumb, deaf, and blind. They can't satisfy the soul. And David is saying here, the Lord is your shepherd. Turn to the Lord. He will provide your physical needs and all of your spiritual needs. Turn to the Lord. He will satisfy your soul. Did I just talk to someone today? Betty, did the Holy Spirit just encourage someone today? That the Lord really can comfort your soul. He's our shepherd. And not only in, in his provision, the Lord has a personal relationship with us now because of Christ, and the Lord is our provider, and he provides for our physical needs and our spiritual needs, but also he provides for our directional needs. That's what verse 3 is saying. He restores my soul, yes, but he also he leads me in the paths of righteousness for his namesake. He guides me, and all these are so intensive. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. And I, again, I love the King James translation, but I don't know if this is talking about theological justification. We're talking about sheep. And so in the context of the metaphor, the word righteousness, is maybe better yet, will be translated. The shepherd leads the sheep in the right paths. And you know why he has to lead us in the right paths? Because we're sheep. We don't know where to go. <laughs> Sheep will walk around in a circle and circle and circle and circle. There's no food there. There's no water there. And nobody's going to get the bright idea, hey, let's try something else. Sheep will just keep going around and around and around until they fall over and die. If one is going over a cliff, the rest of them say, where did he go? Let's go find out. And they all will follow right over a cliff. We need the Lord for vision to direct our lives. It's been confusing these past few years. Not sure what to do. Not sure where to go. Not sure what the answer is. But we know someone who knows the answer. And Jesus has made him our shepherd. And he guides us in the right paths. He guides us to the right places. Not some of the time, but all of the time. So we have to learn not to lean on our own understanding, but in all of our ways acknowledge him because he will make our path straight, right, correct. He leads us to where we need to go. And that's what he does because he is our shepherd. Um, it is a dark world and very confusing at times. Morally speaking, it's just confusing. But the text says in Psalm 119, 105, the Lord is the lamp to my feet and the light to my path. And he says in verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to God's word. God knows where to lead us, and he will do that for his namesake, because he is our shepherd. The health of his sheep is a reflection on the kind of shepherd that he is. So he leads us in the right path. He leads us to the still waters. He leads us to the luscious, luscious paths. God leads his people. He leads us. Um, and if I can make this really clear, it, it says this in Romans chapter 12, and I do want you to turn there for a second. Romans chapter 12, how does God lead me right now? 
And it says in Romans chapter 12, and verses 1 and 2, I'm going to focus on 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, in light of all of what God has done in Christ for our salvation, how he has saved us through the sacrifice of his son by trusting in him. It says, by, by that mercy, it says, I appeal to you, I urge you, there's a moral obligation here, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, acceptable or holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And in a sense, it's saying, because of all that Christ has done for you, worship him. And then it tells us how, verse 2, with a negative command and a positive one. It says, do not be conformed to this world. And if I could do a quick grammar lesson here, this is in the passive voice, which means that he is saying all we have to do is to be passive in how we encounter the world, and the world will mold us. And when the Bible talks about passive, it means the subject is not doing anything. I can say, I was hit by the ball. I'm, that's a passive sentence. I'm not doing anything. I was hit by the ball. Or I can say, I hit the ball, which is active. Here, when it says passive, all you have to do is turn on your phone, turn on your TV, turn on your radio, turn on the news, read a book, consume what the world has, and passively don't filter it. Just take it in. And the text says, the world will mold you. But instead it says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Keep singing these songs. Keep God's word in front of you. And it says in 2 Corinthians 3.18, you incrementally will keep changing, that God will keep changing your perspective. He will keep making your worldview filtered through his perspective. God will keep renewing your mind as you keep your mind in the word. And it says, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Let me give you a Bobby translation for that. That if God, consistent, godly living over time, God's will will find you. This is by consistent, godly living over time. To be a, a worshiper of God, God's will will find you. God will lead you to that job. God will lead you to that church. God will lead you. God leads his people. He does. It is a real reality. You don't hear voices from heaven, but God literally leads us as we are living a life of consistent worship. So you don't, if you don't know where to go, can I tell you where to go? Go to the foot of the cross. Go to the foot of the cross and look up and see him hanging there and worship him. Bow down before your king. Bow in the morning. Bow in the afternoon. Bow in the evening. Worship Jesus, and he will lead you into God's perfect will. Why is that? Because he's our shepherd. That's what shepherds do. They lead their sheep. I saw this one uh, video of a shepherd and a sheep. It was so cool. It was a bunch of tourists at this farm, I guess, and the shepherd was inviting them to call his sheep, and they were making all these noises. They were doing all this stuff, and the sheep just kept grazing and eating. And then the shepherd walked up, and he started calling the sheep, and the sheep, all their heads popped up, and they turned around and started coming. They were following the shepherd. And Jesus leads us. But you have to be listening to his voice. And his voice is here, saying, God. It's in his word. And he provides direction for his sheep. 
That's what the psalmist is saying. The Lord personally relates to us, verse 1. He is our shepherd, my personal shepherd. And then he provides everything so that we lack nothing. He provides for us physically. He provides for us spiritually. And he provides for us directionally. There's a third thing the Lord Jesus has brought about in our relationship with God. Not only can we know him personally, he provides. But verse 4 and 5 says the Lord protects you. Did you know that? That the Lord is the one who protects you. The psalmist says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Sheep have no sharp teeth. They have no claws. They can't run very fast, and they aren't strong. Almost any and every prey who wants a sheep would just devour and destroy them if it were not for their shepherd. That the Bible says that our enemy walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, and he would devour any and all of us were it not for the Lord being our shepherd. Jesus told Peter as much that Satan wanted to sift him like wheat, and he would have. That when Satan tempted Peter, he fell three times denying his Lord. That Satan would have destroyed Peter, but Jesus had prayed for him. Jesus protected him. Jesus shielded him, and the Lord is the one who protects us. That's a good word, saints, because what David says here, counter what is normal, counter what you would expect, even when I'm in the most dangerous places, I'm not afraid. That he says, even when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death, and he's characterizing literally the dark, the dark, dark places he's, he's saying, so, so when I'm going through the valleys and the mountains are casting shadows upon the trail, around the bend is where the bandits would hide and the robbers would hide and they would, they would kill the shepherds and steal their sheep. David says, even when I go around the darkest parts of the valley, I'm not afraid. And so if you struggle with fear, and at various points we all can, are you struggling with anxiety? You have to ask yourself, why? Well, I'm struggling because I could lose everything in this market. I'm struggling because I could lose everything because of COVID. I'm struggling because I, I could, I'm struggling because COVID is, and I'm struggling, I'm afraid. Is the Lord your shepherd? If the Lord is your shepherd, then he's your defender. He's your strong tower. He's your shield. And can I tell you, as powerful as Satan is, he's not omni-anything. He's not all-powerful. He's not all-wise. He's not all-everywhere, but your Lord is. And the Lord is the one who is our shepherd, and he protects us. Even when we're in the valley of the shadow of death, we don't have to be afraid. We can trust. And so what do you do with an anxious heart? What do you do when you're afraid? Can I tell you what David says? Get the playlist back out. Put on Psalm 23 and start singing the song again over and over and over again. And sing it to the Lord because it's true. The Lord will protect his sheep. It's just true. And you all know that. I wish I could ask some of the saints with gray hair to give us a testimony, to tell us how God saw you through, how he rescued you when there was no one else there, that there was no place to turn. You're between the you know, Egyptian army in the Red Sea, and you're stuck. 
and what you've learned in your life, you need to tell the young folks. You need to say that. I don't know how God always is going to do it. I don't know exactly when God is going to do it, but I've learned this young fella, I've learned this, my, my young sister, that God is faithful, and he delivers his sheep from all harm, all danger. God rescues us. God protects us. He has a strong arm. It's just true. And so we got to keep singing the song, God is my shepherd. His rod and his staff, that the staff would just direct us when we're going the wrong way. We might be almost falling off the edge of a cliff, and the shepherd would nudge you back. And if there is danger, he pulls out his rod. It's like a weapon, and, and he will protect us. God does that. His rod and his staff, they comfort me. So when we're afraid and our hearts are anxious, that we can trust in the Lord. He will never leave you. He will never desert you. I think I probably shared this with you all when I was here on perhaps another occasion. Um, when my oldest was eight, she contracted a really an adult, very severe form of cancer. And most kids weren't surviving. And it was just the nightmare of all nightmares for a parent. Um, we lived in the hospital for the better part of six months. And the Lord just taught us. My wife said, if I had to go through it all over again, I would. God, God saved my daughter. Um, and he didn't save everyone. I, we went to, out of five families, we went to four funerals. Uh, but the Lord saved our daughter. And, uh, and it was... It was a life-changing experience that God ordained for us. And God ordains all of your trials. He has a perfect obstacle course for every one of us. He's just teaching us to trust him. And, he, he, and he's not intending for you to be a hero in your own story, so you don't win every story. We'll have you lose, so you can trust him. We'll have you lose, so you can be humble. But in the end, like, like, like Abraham in Genesis 22, when he was willing to offer Isaac, God ah, that's it. God made a promise 25 years later. 25 years of trials and testing. Finally, God got Abraham to the point where he trusted him. God is teaching you to trust him. And you have to, you have to trust him in how he chooses to trust him, test him. And here the psalmist is saying, the Lord comforts me. Even when I'm in the valley of the shadow of death. So we don't need, and I don't want to, you know, so doctors prescribe medicines and therapists do what they do and you know, God is sovereign of all that. But can I tell you, the Lord is the one who will comfort you. We need help. The Lord is the one who comforts us. So he protects us. God does that. God protects us. And then there's a last truth about our relationship now because of what Christ has done. That we have a personal relationship with the Lord. The Lord personally relates to us. But the Lord also provides for us and the Lord protects us. And verse 6 uh, verse 5 and 6, I should say. Uh, the Lord profusely blesses you. Um, Matt, Matt would be frustrated if I didn't alliterate this. I had to have another P. So he personally relates to us. He provides for us. He protects us, and he profusely blesses us. So, so when you look at verse 6, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. That even in the presence of our enemies, we live in a fallen world. And because we love Jesus, the world simply does not love us. It doesn't love our positions. It doesn't love what we say. 
It doesn't love what we do. But, the, but, but here it says the shepherd loves us. And so even in the presence of our enemies, he, prepared, he, he, he lays out the banquet table before us. And he anoints our head, even in the presence of our enemies. And I just love how God does that. God does that. That even in the presence of our enemies, that doesn't inhibit him from blessing us. And all you have to do is think of Haman and Mordecai. And go back and read the book of Esther. It is just a staggering story of God's absolute providence. Haman decides that I'm going to hang Mordecai. And that same day, the king can't sleep. And instead of calling him one of, one of his many concubines, the king says, bring out the books. I want to read the books to me. And, and, and on a late night when he couldn't sleep, and the books tell him a story when Mordecai rescued him. And he said, did we do anything for this Mordecai guy? And they said, no, we didn't do anything for the Mordecai guy. And so the next morning after Haman decided to hang Mordecai, and he comes in, here the king says, hey, I want to celebrate somebody. I want to bless him. How should I do it? And Haman thinks he's talking about him, and he goes through all these elaborate ways where you have to bless this guy. And he had already built the, the, uh, 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 the, the, this, something to hang Mordecai with. But then it turns around, and the king mentions Mordecai's name. And then Haman is the one who ends up getting hung uh, on his own gallows. So God protected Mordecai. Mordecai didn't keep the king up that night. Mordecai didn't whisper in the king's ear. Tell him to go back and read the books when I rescued your life. God did all that. God rescued Mordecai. God rescues us. And God does it in the presence of our enemies. The text says, you prepare a table before me, even in the presence of my enemies. The gallows are hanging there, and in the presence of the gallows, God lifts up and blesses Mordecai. So God will bless us. We just have to be faithful. God's job is the results. Our job is to trust. And we just have to trust him and keep trusting him. And what we'll learn, not only does he just, that he profusely can bless us. David said, you anointed my head with oil. The reason why I'm the king, the reason why I'm set apart, the reason why you use me is because, God, you anointed my head with oil. What makes us special isn't us. That God put his hand on us. God poured his spirit out upon us. God set us apart. God is the one who is using us. Whatever is good in any of us is because of God. And God blesses us. He blesses us profusely. He blesses us in the presence of our enemies, and he blesses us in how he's chosen to use us. God does that, and he does it out of his grace. He does it out of his mercy. God does that. And then the, the psalmist says, if my cup overflows, I always laugh when you're pouring, you know, kids a glass of water, something like that, and you pour in a glass of water, and when they have enough, what do they do? Well, that's enough, and they just yank it away. You're spilling water all over the place. <laughs> So here David is saying that, God, my cup is overflowing. This is too much. You're too good to me. There, there's just too many blessings. I haven't deserved any of this. I haven't merited any of this. God, don't you know who I am? Why are you so good to me? Because that's who he is. That God is gracious. God is loving. God is kind. Jesus, that I'm meek and lowly of heart. That's, the, that's just who he is. The text says, God, in 1 John, God is love. That's who he is. So when you read 1 Corinthians 13, it gives it the love definition. That's, that's what God is. God does that naturally because he's love. 
God loves. And just put God's name in 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 8. That's who God is. He loves. And he loves you. And so he's kind and he's generous and he pours out blessings. You don't believe me? Look with me at Luke's gospel, chapter 4, I mean chapter 6. And Luke's gospel, chapter 6, it, it makes this wonderful statement about God, about how gracious he is, how kind he is. It tells us in, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 6, it says in verse 32, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. You will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind. God is kind to ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. That's who God is. He's merciful. He's kind. So you don't have to twist God's arm to bless you. He blesses his sheep. And he pours out, and our cup overflows. And then the text describes his blessings in, in verse 6 by saying, Surely goodness and mercy, or loving kindness, some translations would say, is the equivalent of our New Testament term for grace. This hesed idea is the Hebrew word. It describes God's faithful love to us. It says, surely, that goodness and mercy, and not simply follow, it, it means pursue. This is the terminology you would use of a hunter trying to catch his prey, that goodness and mercy, it pursues us. God's goodness and mercy pursues us all the days of our life. God blesses his sheep. Um, and as he blesses us, he anoints us. He blesses us in the presence of his, our enemies. He blesses us by anointing us and setting us apart. He blesses us by giving us abundantly more than we could ever possibly deserve or even imagine. Our cup overflows. And then he just makes sure every day behind you, his loving kindness is chasing you and will pursue you until it overwhelms and overcomes you. God does that. And he does it all the days of our life. Um, and if you know the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm describing your relationship with God. But if you come here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, then your problem isn't you know, a problem of just finances, a problem with my spouse, a problem with my employee. Your problem is a God problem. That, that you, don't, you don't have a relationship with God like this. We can't earn a relationship with God like this. We can't do anything to secure a relationship with God like this. That when the text says that the Lord is my shepherd, the Bible makes it clear to tell us the name of that shepherd. Jesus said in John 10 that that good shepherd is Jesus, and he lays down his life so that we can have a life, this kind of a life, with an infinitely holy God because he takes away our sins when he dies on the cross, and he grants us the righteousness that he earns so that we can stand before a holy God and be blessed like this. So I would say, if you never call on Jesus Christ, 
cry out to him today. And I don't know if this is a live stream. I will say that if you're live streaming. But if you've never trusted Jesus Christ, that's what he calls you to do. That's what he commands you to do, to repent and believe. And he makes your relationship with God like this, so that your relationship with God is personal. God, the Lord, is your provider. He's your protector. And the Lord profusely is the one who blesses you. He blesses you with all his loving kindness and his mercy. Um, this is a true story. Um, there was a pastor uh, named uh, Reverend Stillman Martin, and he and his wife would visit members in the church called the Doolittles. And Mrs. Doolittle was an invalid uh, who was confined to her sickbed for 20 years. And Mr. Doolittle was also partially, a partial invalid. Um, and yet he had to run it, he ran his family business from a, a wheelchair. And every time the Martins would visit the Doolittles, the Doolittles were always filled with joy. And one day, uh, Pastor Martin's wife just asked the couple, what is your secret? Why are you always so content? And, and Mrs. Doolittle said this, I was reading the Bible, and I saw that a sparrow doesn't fall without knowing about God. So I told myself, if he watches over the sparrow, I know that he watches over me. And Mrs. Martin went home that day, and she began to write down the words of a song that we sing. And it says, why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadows come? <clears throat> why should my heart be lonely and long for heaven and home? When Jesus is my portion, my constant friend is he, his eye is on the sparrow, and I know he watches me. Saints of God, we've got to keep this song in our playlist because the Lord is our shepherd, and he watches over us. He does. He is the one to do that. So how do we respond to a shepherd like this? A shepherd who has a personal relationship with us, who provides for us, who protects us, who profusely blesses us. How do we respond? That's the climax of the psalm. The climax of the psalm at the end of verse 6 says, Surely I will dwell in the house of the Lord, literally, for the length of my days. David says, in light of God's personal relationship that he has with me, in light of God's provision for me, in light of how God protects me, in light of how God profusely blesses me, I'm going to gather in the temple or the tabernacle, I'm going to gather the rest of my days and worship my God. I will not let the rocks cry out for me. I'm going to sing, I'm going to pray, I'm going to bow, I'm going to listen, I am going to worship this God who has so richly loved me. The way a shepherd loves sheep. I would encourage you to do that with Psalm 23. It's our favorite song. Because it is our song. Jesus has made God our shepherd. And all these things that I'm reading about, that David is saying is true about him and God, are true about you and God. Let me give one final story, and I'm going to take my seat, and I'll be done. Um, and this is a pastor's story, so I'm sure this is not true. 
uh, was a famous actor who was once the guest at a large social gathering with <clears throat> all kinds of like you know special guests from the community and this guest this famous actor um, was famous on Broadway and known for his great orations and someone asked him in the crowd can you recite for us Psalm 23 and so the actor looks and it was an old pastor asking him can you recite Psalm 23 for us and so the famous actor said I'll do so under one condition that after I'm done you recite Psalm 23 so the pastor agreed and so this, the actor got up and just, just as everybody expected with perfect diction and oration and he just mesmerized everybody with his rendition of Psalm 23 and when he was done everybody just stood on their feet and gave him a standing ovation and then he sat down and then the old pastor walked up whose voice was worn and broken from all the years of preaching. So with his crackling voice, his unpolished diction, <laughs> he reads through, he makes his way through Psalm 23. And when he was done, there wasn't a dry eye in the room. And one of the attendees came up to the famous actor afterwards and said, what was that? What, what was the difference? And the actor said, well, I knew the song, but the old pastor knew the shepherd. The saints of God, we know the shepherd. What a blessing. Keep singing the song. Be encouraged with the song. I know this is a hard time. I know these are difficult days. But God will see us through. Amen. Will you bow with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for giving us this song and making it ours. Encourage us in our hearts in these difficult days. Encourage us when we need you. Encourage us when we feel like we're at an end, that you are a shepherd, and you will see us through to the end. Bless us. Bless us because you love us. Bless us because you're so gracious, gracious and kind. And we'll be careful to keep worshiping you and keep singing this song. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. God bless you.